It's good to be with you guys. I haven't been here in, I'm trying to think, the last time I preached here is probably about three years. So my wife and I um, live in Colorado Springs, but we used to live up here. We used to be a part of uh, this community. And um, about, I guess, a little over three years ago, the Lord, uh, we felt like, was asking us to move to Colorado Springs and wanted us to plant a church. And we weren't exactly sure why? I mean, there's a hundred million churches in Colorado Springs, and so we didn't really see the need to duplicate or redo what was going on because we have a lot of friends that pastor down there, and they do a great job, honestly. And so, uh, but the Lord just wouldn't let go of this. He kept bringing it up, bringing it up, turning it. <clears throat> Finally, we had this lady at a coffee shop stop us one day as we were going out when we were in Colorado Springs, and she goes, excuse me, um, do you have a minute? Can I talk to you? And I didn't know uh, what the deal was. I thought maybe she's wanting money. Maybe she's Jehovah's Witness. I don't know. You know, what, I don't know what you want. And so I uh, just said, yeah, uh, okay. And uh, so she goes, I don't uh, normally come here. I live at Fort Carson, which is like 30 minutes south of where we were. And she goes, but I woke up this morning. I felt like the Lord wanted me to come here to this coffee shop. And uh, he just told me to wait for this young couple. And so, like, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, go ahead. And she goes, um, as I was sitting here, you guys came in. I felt like the Lord said, you guys are the guys. And so I just waited for you to finish your coffee meeting. And so uh, when you guys had finished up, I wanted to follow you out. But the Lord, I felt like, gave me something to share with you. And at this point, it was kind of like, eh, how's this going to go? You know, this is going to be really dynamic or this is going to be kind of weird. And so I was like, go ahead. Um, yeah, and we will pray into that. We'll test that. And she goes, uh, the Lord told us, uh, my husband and I, that he wants you guys to uh, come down here and start a ministry. And that he's already told you this, that you've been previously in vocational ministry Right now you're not, which is true. I was a security guard in a psych ward at the time. And the Lord wants to know why you guys are waiting. It's like, oh, I guess we should get on that, you know? <laughs> so, so we ended up moving down through a series of events. Uh, Lauren got hired. And as we started looking about where we were going to plant a church, um, we were trying to figure out a place where there wasn't already a church. And so we focused on the university because my wife had been a student leader at CU Boulder for Campus Crusade, and we like university students. So um, we kind of looked around, asked around, were there any churches doing much on the campus? We found out that there's 13,000 students, not a lot going on. So like, okay, you know, maybe this is the spot. And uh, so what happened was we enrolled in courses, in classes, and uh, I was just going to be there and study with the students. I didn't want to be the weird older guy who's hanging out on the sidewalk trying to catch students after class. You want to come to my house? No, man, that's weird. You know, and so it was just trying to be as natural as we can be about just loving people and bringing them into our home. So uh, the first class I signed up for, I thought was a Western civilization course. It was a West course. And so I came in and the professor uh, came in and she goes, I just want you to know, um, that you're welcome to this class, but I'm a lesbian, I'm happily married, I've adopted kids. If you have a problem with that, you can get out. 
no one went anywhere, you know. I wasn't really sure what was going on. She goes, great, let's all share coming out stories. At this point, I'm looking over my syllabus, be like, I don't know which portion of history we're going to study, you know. <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out what is going on, Lord. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and they start in the back. I came in late, and so as frequently happens, rooms fill up from the back forward, and then when you're late, you have to do a walk of shame to the front. And so I had to sit in the front of the classroom, and so everyone just starts sharing. There's probably 30 students, there's probably 20 of them, just start sharing about pain in their life, confusion, identity stuff, and how they came to walk in a gay lifestyle and what that looked like. And so there were some transgendered students, and they went all the way through, and they came to the front, and I was the last person, and they go, you know, how did you find out you were gay? I was like, well, I'm not, um, but I am here to start a Bible study. And (laughs) everyone was... Like, stop for a minute, and then everyone clapped, which I thought was weird, and I was like, that's beautiful. It's like, thank you, you know? And then I went home and told Lauren, I was like, I'm never going back to that class. That was bizarre. And she goes, no, no, um, here's the thing. God doesn't make mistakes, and God loves them absolutely as much as he loves anyone who attends church anywhere. And so have you ever had a day where you had 20 people just share intimate details of their life like that with you? I was trying to come up with an excuse, and I was like, no, <laughs> there's, there's not. And she goes, great, I think you need to stay. I said, yeah, but I can't pass the class. She goes, who cares? We're not here to pass classes. We're here to tell people about Jesus. I was like, yeah, you make a compelling argument. So I went back. We stayed. At the end of the semester, we just invited students. We had to do a call to action. And so I invited students to come to Bible study, thinking nothing would happen for people express interest. Two people came and joined us. And that's how we started. We honestly thought we were going to be starting with kids who grew up in the church, who were disillusioned, who got out of it, who didn't want to be a part of it. And the Lord completely started off our ministry in a different vein. And so uh, there were just the two of us and about two, what, two and a half, no, three years ago? This is my wife, so. Um, So it was about three years ago. We are starting year four. And so Uh, Now there's consistently about 30 to 35 of us, and we have a Mormon family that comes, and a Hindu guy, we've had some witches in and out, and so we just have kind of an eclectic group, you know, and a lot of these people have never read the Bible before. They don't know uh, Jesus, you know, they see his name on bumper stickers, or they use it as a swear word, not really sure who the person is, and so we're just kind of walking through that, and so because nobody really knows what's going on or what's supposed to happen, we just start at the beginning. Gospel of Mark, who's Jesus? Why should you care? Why does he care about you? And just kind of let it go from there. And so a typical night, we'll spend about an hour and we will eat dinner together where we just talk socially. We just hang out. We genuinely love these people. They're not our projects. They're our friends. And so as we're having conversations with them and we're spending time, then we study And there's lots of questions, which are great questions. When we first started, we started at 6. Students were leaving at 12.45 in the morning. And they were going, well, what about this? What about this? Can Jesus do this? What is this? You know, what is the church for? How do you use it? How is it supposed to work? And so as we were going through all these questions, which are great questions and totally valid, we realized we needed to put some guardrails in because we weren't going to sleep. (laughs) And And so as it's grown over time, When we're doing that, we've realized uh, just the importance of doing what God puts on your heart. 
even if you don't understand it, right? There's a lot of things in life that we don't understand, and that's okay. But it doesn't excuse us from doing what we know we should be doing, right? So if you guys have your Bibles or your phones or iPads, open up to Acts chapter 11. And I know you guys went through Acts a little while ago. Uh, but when Jeff was going to be gone and he asked me to come and share, he gave me free reign. <laughs> and then he told me, um, I would really like you to focus on what it looks like to just love the other. Love the neighbor around you. Love the person in your life who's around. And so one of the things that we really are going to butt up against here is there's this guy named Peter. Peter is an apostle, which means he's a high-level leader in the church, one of the 12 original followers of Jesus. Peter used to be a fisherman. Peter also used to moonlight as a zealot. Now, zealot was a party, political faction, that was essentially underground, who their job was essentially to go around and stab Romans because they were a group who were highly patriotic, highly resistant to Roman occupation. And so what they would do is they would get together, slip into a crowd, pull out daggers, kill Roman soldiers, slip back into the crowd, and disappear. And as a result, uh, there was this deep divide. There had always been one, but especially now in Peter's heart, between people who were Jewish and people who were outside of that. And even after Jesus came and Jesus changed Peter's life, Peter didn't become not human. He didn't cease to have feelings. He didn't cease to wrestle with things that were difficult. And so what ends up happening is that Peter has this experience with the Lord where the Lord talks to him in Acts chapter 10 and says, here's the thing. The gospel came, Jesus came first to the Jew, and not because God was racist and God only wanted to reach one group, but because God's heart and interest was in keeping his promises, and he'd made a promise to Abraham. There are other people outside of being ethnically Jewish throughout the history within scripture that follow Jesus. Like we look at Ruth, we look at Rahab, we look at Jethro, we look at various people who were not Jewish, but started walking with the Lord, started following the Lord, and they were in love with him. And even two of those, Ruth and Rahab, were in Jesus' family line, were a part of Jesus' family line. And so Jesus' heart is not all of a sudden uh, the Jews are not interested, so we need to bump up our size. We need to change our demographics. We need to get outside of our community. But this was always the plan. And so what ends up happening in Acts 11, if you guys will read with me, in verse 1, the Lord has spoken to Peter about this, and Peter actually went and spent some time with the Gentiles and led some of them to Jesus. So when he came back to Jerusalem, where the Jewish leaders were, there was a, a problem, right? Because Peter was not doing things in the vein and tradition that people thought he was going to do in it, right? When Jesus gives the Great Commission, Jesus says, I want you guys to go to Judea, I want you guys to go to Samaria, and I want you guys to go to the ends of the earth. So Judea, great. Those are religious Jews. They're people that essentially look like us. They fit the mold, not too hard. We can tell them about Jesus. Great. Samaria, eh. People, sort of Jewish. I mean, they're, they're half Jew, but they've also brought in other influences from different parts of the culture. That's a little bit harder, 
But hey, at least these people have a general understanding of who God is, of what he expects, and so uh, at least they'll behave, right? And sometimes as a church, we're more interested in people behaving than we are in people being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a problem. This is going to cause a rub within the church, a fissure that's going to come up. And so, what ends up happening is, sorry, I know this is a really long intro. I just want <laughs> to paint a picture. And so, what ends up happening is Peter comes back and he says, guys, coolest thing happened. Jesus has a heart for the Gentiles. I went, I reached out to the Gentiles. They're in. They want to be a part of what's going on. And the guys who are there, the other Jewish leaders who are very Jewish and very Christian, are like, hmm, you did what now? What did you do? Like, I, I had dinner with people who weren't Jewish. Uh, no. No, you didn't. Because you were unclean if you went into somebody's house that wasn't Jewish, right? Somebody who's not clean. And so, Peter, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you're, yeah, come on, man. Like, you're, you're a big leader within the church. You're someone everyone respects. You can't go around doing this. This is a rookie mistake. You can't be doing this kind of thing. And so what happens is Peter is going to bump against this attitude within followers of Jesus, right? And sometimes the church can be guilty of falling off to two sides, right? Sometimes we're afraid of the truth. We reach people outside of the church, and then we back off. And we start to apologize for what we believe. That's not good. If it's what we believe, we don't need to apologize for it. We need to understand why we believe it. Why do we have that conviction? The other side is we can become abusive with the truth and start using it as a weapon to go after people, equally disgusting to Jesus. Jesus doesn't like that. And so what happens with these guys is they're getting caught up in processing their observations instead of listening to the voice of God. And we can fall into this boat sometimes. We get caught up in what we see in front of us and we start processing and we lay out formulas and plans and we forget that God is a person. God has a voice. God wants to speak to us. So in verse one, sorry, (laughs) with this background, it says, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of the Lord. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, the guys who circumcised themselves as a sign of keeping the law, following Jesus or following God, they criticized him, saying, you went to an uncircumcised man and ate with them. But Peter began to explain it to them in order. This is really profound because these guys are believers. It's not that they're not believers. They're not outside of the family of God, right? They're super well-meaning. Their intentions are great. They want to see the church be healthy. They want to see the church do well. They want to see the church thrive. And the issue right now is that Peter is not allowing them to keep their standards. Come on, Peter. You're messing it up, man. You're a little bit off. And so what happens is sometimes we fall into this place to where we're following Jesus but we forget about the kingdom. And we kind of unhitch the kingdom from Jesus. 
because we like Jesus, but we're not really sure what to do with the kingdom of God. What does that look like to bring people in and follow that? And sometimes when we're having a hard time hearing the Lord, or we have an absence of the vision of our mission of bringing people into the kingdom of God, pettiness thrives within the church, right? We start to lose our focus. We start to pick at each other. We start to do different things. Peter comes in the door. Peter's excited to tell them about what happens, and immediately they're critical. There's none of this, hey, Peter, can you explain to us what happened? What were you thinking? Where did you get this from? Because Peter could back it up with Bible. Isaiah talks about Jesus' mission in Isaiah 45. Jesus is coming for the Gentiles. It's been his plan 600 years before any of this plays out. This is the plan, right? And so Peter was not off in what he was doing. But tradition had overtaken the mission. This was going to be a huge, huge problem. There's a lot of people in the church that don't reject the kingdom of God, but they're more than fine with reducing it, right? Yeah, I'm a part of this. I'm in. I like Jesus. I have a bumper sticker. I have a fish thing on my car. I'm all about it. Love it. Have the t-shirts. Got the CDs. But when people start coming into the church that are messy, sometimes people in the church just forget where they came from. It's not like we did it on our own, right? Otherwise, why would God send this divine rescue mission of sending his son out of heaven to be brutally murdered and tortured by this group of people who think that they're awesome and they're pagan? Why do that? Why experience that? Why have to forsake your son, pour out the wrath that is deserved for sin, on him, why have any of that happen if we're perfectly capable of behaving enough, being good enough to do it on our own? We're not. We need Jesus. I'm not. I can't do it. It's possible within the church to excel in mechanics, right? Have a well-oiled machine and completely blow it when it comes to the dynamic of the heart of God. And that's a problem. Because when you deliver a message, you can deliver the right words, but if you deliver it without the right heart, it's not the message. It's not. It's flawed. It's stained. It does not reflect the heart of God. So I want to ask you guys to write down a couple questions. If you have a pen, put it in a note in your phone, whatever. But I want you guys to think about this. Do you guys remember where you were when Jesus found you? And do you remember what your life was like before him? Because in Jesus, we are new creations. We're different. But we all start somewhere, right? We'll have a starting point. So point number one, yes, (laughs) if you guys are taking notes. Following Jesus does not mean advising him. It means obeying him. Sometimes Jesus talks to us about stuff we don't want to hear. Leave it alone, Jesus. We're not going there. Don't want to talk about that. Not into that right now. And Jesus just keeps coming. 
Jesus is relentless, right? He just keeps coming and coming and coming because Jesus' goal is for us to be healthy. Jesus' goal is not our comfort. It's our growth, right? And so what's happening is Peter comes in and he's being criticized because what Peter is saying is, look, the kingdom of God is way bigger than any of us ever dared to believe. God's mission is global. You talk about reaching Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You know what the ends of the earth meant to them? The Jews in the diaspora, right? Jews that had moved to different parts of the world. Awesome. Still our people look like us. They know how to behave. They know how to act. And God says, no, 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 Peter. Everyone. He's like, you don't mean everyone. Those people? Yeah, those people. Everyone has a seat at the table, is invited in through Jesus. There's a quote there by a guy that I love. He's a missionary to India, East Stanley Jones. And he says, Jesus based his ministry on the kingdom of God. It was the central theme of his parables, as well as the nucleus of his sermons. Through the centuries, however, the church has often separated Jesus from his message and thus weakened the impact of the gospel. If somebody had told Peter a week ago that Peter would be in Jerusalem defending, bringing Gentiles in to the church, Peter would have thought you were completely insane. That is not my goal. That is not what I'm doing. Everybody knows that's not acceptable. That's not appropriate. And yet he has an encounter with Jesus where Jesus reminds him of the kingdom. Jesus spent a lot of time with people who were undesirable, people who were throwaways, people who were weak and messy in the culture. And people love that about Jesus. The only people that hated that were the religious people who wanted people to behave. But when people behave, it doesn't necessarily mean that their heart is changed. It means they know it's expected from them and they're going to be punished if they don't. And so getting people to behave is not the goal of the gospel. Transforming somebody's entire life, their spirit, the way they think, renewing their mind, renewing their focus, their heart, refreshing the world, that is the heart of God. Way bigger than what we're after a lot of the time. Right? And so what happens is Peter comes in, he's received this newfound freedom with the gospel, and it's rubbing people raw. It chafes them. It's giving them spiritual rashes. Like, Peter, shut up, right? We're not here to let you talk. We're here mostly to yell at you and to tell you how wrong you are, <laughs> right? And so for Peter, Peter's, Peter knows he heard from the Lord. It was angelic visitation. Peter had a vision. Peter took six guys with him for this purpose when he went to this Roman's house, right? He goes to this Italian Roman soldier's home because he had an angelic visitation of Jesus, and Jesus said, go find this guy, and he can tell you how to follow me. So Peter does it. Peter could have gone a lot of ways with this, right? He could have pulled rank. He could have got his pride involved. Peter has a temper. We know that. Comes up in scripture. There's a lot of directions this could have gone at this moment. 
But you know what Peter does? Peter says, let me start at the beginning. Let me shepherd you into this. Let me explain to you where we missed it. Okay? Because that's really important in what we're doing. And so, as they're upset and they're fighting this, and I don't know if they're as mad at Peter and what he was doing as it was that it made them uncomfortable, that if things go in this direction, they're not going to just get to grow old with their friends. Right? It means we have a mission to do. We need to get out into the world. We're not here to just age out. Right? There's a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. has an awesome, awesome quote. And he says, The number one aim I see in a lot of Christians is they want to be raptured from responsibility. They're waiting for the rapture so they can leave the mission and just do nothing. A lot of the church in America, I'm sure it's not uh, news to you, is in decline. The reason why we're in decline is because a lot of the church is either doing nothing or they're doing something behind their walls. People see Christians go into this building. Two hours later, they come out. What are you guys doing there? I don't know. I have no idea what's going on in there. One of the first guys I led to the Lord, his name was Jason. Jason was a punk rocker, awesome guy. He was involved in the occult, was deeply involved in the occult, searching for meaning. I invited him to come into church when I was like a brand new pastor. I was 21. I was super excited. Jason came in, and the response that Jason elicited from people who were within the church made me really upset. And one night after church, Jason and I, sitting around having this conversation, I said, Jason, what's going on? And he goes, you know, he goes, the people here, they look really nice. They have suits, comb their hair. They have intact families, man. I don't know what that's like. It's awesome. Good for them. But they're not happy. Like, isn't this about joy? Like, why are they doing this thing? He goes, I understand I'm in bondage. Don't get me wrong. I know it. But why would I trade my form of bondage for their form of bondage? Why would I trade my hell for a religious spirit? It's the same thing, but a lot less fun. I was like, okay. (laughs) You know, I see what you're saying. You know, because he goes, I don't see what I read about. I don't get it. I don't, people keep telling me to change my clothes, to hide my piercings, to do this and that, but there's no compelling reason to do it. I don't understand why. These people harp on it all the time, but I just, I don't get it. And it's the same things with these guys. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, right? Paul will go on to write, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So Paul's writing from a place of knowledge, right? A place of revelation by the Holy Spirit. When Gentiles start to come into the church or when we're conceiving this idea, they're spoken about almost um, regularly in slurs. Right? Savages, heathens, they don't know how we do it here. It's not like that here. 
And this is a common response among people who are just trying to show up and hear about Jesus. Man, I don't know. (laughs) I just love Jesus. I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing and what his mission is doing. And it's a warning to the body of Christ that we need to be careful to listen to the heart of God. We need to be careful to make sure we're not following him, or sorry, not just following what we think his ideals are, but we're also taking time to listen to him, to follow him, to walk where Jesus walked, right? Are there parts of the body that I really deeply struggle with within the Christian family? Yeah, there are. Do I get to kick them out of the church based on my annoyances? No, I don't. And you know what? Neither do you. God is the only one that has the power to do that. And so Peter's coming in. He's not flaunting anything. He doesn't flip out, but he just begins to explain to them. So pick up with me in verse 5. It says, I was in the city of Joppa. I was praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending and being let down from heaven by four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, and reptiles, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, "Uh, No, (laughs) by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. The significance of that sheet in the original language is it's the same word that's used for bandage. Specifically, burial bandages. So the unclean things that are coming down that are being contained by the burial bandages, the picture here is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has the power to make anything unclean clean. Jesus is a master at taking things that are broken, and beyond repair, and he begins to fashion them together. And that's not fairy tale. That's reality. That's who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus says, I want my church to look like that. That's my heart. That's my mission. That's what I'm about. And for us to play judge on who can receive the gospel, who can hear it, who can come to Jesus, and who can't, based on how we perceive their behavior, is not just wrong. It's evil. It's an anti-Christ perspective. It's anti-mission. It's anti-presence of the Lord. And sadly, a lot of us find ourselves in this weird place in our culture. Some of us are trying to be super edgy, And we're trying to make Jesus exciting because Jesus is boring. We're trying to make the church great. And we're trying to make it flashy because the gospel's boring. If you think that, you don't understand it. Other people within the church try to be rigid. Man, if we just, if you tithed more, if you just showed up on time, if you didn't miss so many services, if you did this, if you did that, then you would be acceptable. No. We have to crave Jesus, right? And there are pieces of those different things that may be true in situations, but they're not the overarching thing. No one can come clean. How? 
How come clean? How can you come clean without Jesus? It's not possible. It cannot happen. To withhold Jesus based on the things that we like or don't like is playing God. And playing God is extremely dangerous and blasphemous. If you're taking notes, I'd like to turn your attention to the second point here. No one is called and not sent. Right? We hear that a lot in the church. Something needs to be done. We need to get out. We need to meet our neighbors. Whatever it is, insert the thing here. You say, yeah, that, that is excellent. I really hope that the person sitting next to me is hearing this. Take notes. I want to make sure that you're doing this, you know? And so a lot of us will push back on that. Like, I'm not called to that. Guess what? The Great Commission wasn't for the people who are rock stars in the church. It's for everyone, right? I'm not, I'm not called to this type of person. I'm not called to this. I'm not called to that. If Jesus puts them in front of you and tells you to go to them, you're called to them. And it's not our job, like the first point, to advise him on where we would like to be in the kingdom. We obey. We submit to his kingship, right? There's a quote by somebody who I absolutely love. Leslie Newbegin is a theologian. It says, the Holy Spirit is the primary missionary. Our role is always secondary, right? When we go into situations we don't understand, Peter brought some friends. Peter showed up. Peter knew he was going to take a hit for this right? He's already staying with a tanner, and a tanner is someone who works with dead bodies, and so he's already unclean. They have to live at least 75 feet outside of the town, right? If your daughter gets engaged to a tanner, and you didn't realize that he was a tanner, and you found out, you could walk away, because these people were scum in Jewish society, so Peter was already, the Lord had prepped him in a baby step. He was staying with Simon the tanner, And then the Lord says, go to Cornelius' house. So Peter goes, and Peter's following the leading of the Holy Spirit, which again is against church tradition at this point, but it is not against biblical tradition. It is not out of sync with truth. And sometimes we, sorry, there's a gnat. Sometimes we end up finding ourselves in a place where we're not actually following God and who he is. We're following who we perceive God to be or who we want him to be, right? And so we have to continually ask Jesus to make it clear and the Holy Spirit will go in front of us. And if the mission field is always somewhere else, right? Or it's always somebody else's responsibility, no one's ever doing the mission, right? That's a huge problem. That does not look like fulfilling the Great Commission, And so Peter goes out and he's explaining, look, this happened and this happened. I had this vision and God put him in a really unlikely scenario so that Jesus could be lifted up, right? I have a a dear friend that I met in one of my classes. And this friend um, is female but presents as a male. Is living or has been living transgendered lifestyle. We had this class together, didn't really get to know this person super well. Semester ended, kind of thought, you know, that's the end. And then one day, 
I'm in the men's restroom, and I'm standing um, at the wall, and walks up beside me. It's like, what's up, dude? It's like, hello. You know, it's just kind of super, super awkward situation, but, but my friend is crying. Like, oh, this is weird. You know, so like, go wash my hands, go outside, wait outside. And this is during the Target boycott where everyone and their moms, like, we hate Target. You know, we don't want the restrooms thing, and I get it, you know, but everyone's upset, and <clears throat> the Lord puts me in that situation. And my friend comes out, and I just said, I, I need to know, are you okay? And my friend said, no, I'm not. I said, um, you know, you're welcome to share a little bit with me if you want to share a little bit about what's going on in your life. And she goes, you know, where do I start? I grew up in the foster system, was sexually abused many times, and starts going through this whole system, the story of her life. And it's tragic. It's so tragic. And she's so intelligent. She's double majoring, you know, super brilliant, working really hard, working a full-time job, putting herself through school, right? Super admirable. And so we're having this conversation, and, and I just said, you know, uh, would you like to come to my house one night for dinner? And she thinks about it, and she goes, I don't, uh, I don't think so. I'm like, okay, you know, well, you're welcome anytime. Here's my number. And we kind of split up at this point. And something she had told me before she left was that the reason why she had chosen this life was because when she presented as a female, people hurt her. When she presented as a male, people left her alone. She felt safe. So I said, I understand how you got there. I don't agree with it. This is not what the Lord has for you, but I get it. Like, I understand how you got there. Can we pick up this conversation a little bit more? So it takes about six months. Finally talk her into coming over for dinner. And I let her know beforehand. I was like, hey, if you want to do dinner on a different night, that's fine. But on this night, we have Bible study. So I don't want you to be ambushed. I just want you to know like, this is what we do. And she goes, fine, whatever. Yeah, that, that's fine. I'll leave if I feel weird. I was like, ah, that's fine. So she comes in, and she starts to join us, kind of watches. At the end of the night, she hangs around, and um, she goes, well, what do we do now? And I said, go home. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, oh. She goes, I'm so thankful to hear you say that. I said, I just out of curiosity, what did you think was going to happen here? And she goes, well, my girlfriend told me that the only reason Christians or older Christians would engage me is if they wanted something transactional. She goes, honestly, I thought you guys invited me here to have relations with me. And I just said, yeah, no, no, it's not. We just had fried chicken, you know, so <laughs> you can eat dinner with us. And so you want to come back next week, you can come back next week. If not, that's okay. Because we can't make her behave. We can't make her do things. Jesus doesn't take hostages. Jesus loves people. So we didn't put any kind of strong parameters. We just said, hey, keep coming back if you want to keep coming back. She keeps coming back. We find out that her birthday is coming up. Right? She grew up in foster care. And a lot of times in the particular homes she was in, they just didn't celebrate her birthday. So I said, would it be okay with you if we got you a cake and you pick out the meal that we eat tonight? She goes, yeah, that would be fun. And I said, because here's the thing. 
well, I don't understand a lot of what you're doing with your life. Um, we do value you, and we love you. And so can we just celebrate your life? And she goes, yeah, that'd be great. So we do that. That night, before she leaves, she goes, can I have one of those books you guys are reading? It's like, oh, a, a Bible? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I know, I know my lifestyle is not in line with it, and I know they're holy books, and they're not for people like me, but I really want one. I'm super curious about it. I said, yeah, you can have one. I gave her one. And she said, they're totally for people like us. She goes, what do you mean? I was like, people who mess up. People who miss it, you know, from time to time, we need Jesus. And so take it and read it. So she starts to do this, and she's going along, and then about two months later, she goes, yeah, I've been thinking about prayer. How do you get into that? She's like, I want to get into that. I was like, yeah, that, that, that's really cool. And she goes, um, yeah, do I need to write something down? Can I recite something? Can I do? And I was like, you know, um, if it's helpful to like journal and organize your thoughts that you want to pray, that's fine. But it's not required. You know, mostly the Lord already has a pretty good idea of everything that's going on ever in the history of anything. And so this is more for you right now in just learning how to be with him. And so she goes, yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, I'll, I'll start there. So <laughs> a few weeks go on. I don't really hear anything about what's going on. Then one night we're sitting around. We always end our, our times at the house church with prayer, with ministry time. And so some people have their hands on me. We're praying. And she's sitting across from me. And I see her start to tear up. She starts to reach out her hand to touch me. And she pulls it back. And she gets this weird look on her face. Doesn't say anything. Finish the prayer time. She catches me at the door. And she goes, um, when we were praying, did the Holy Spirit tell you anything for me? And I said, no, I mean, when we offered to pray for you, you just, you declined, and that's okay. But we can, if you want. And she goes, well, I had this weird thing happen. I was sitting here, and I felt, she goes, I don't have the words for it, but a spike in the spiritual energy in the atmosphere. And I wanted to touch it. I said, what made you think it was a good idea to touch? She goes, I don't know. It just felt good. And she goes, I went, I went to touch it, and I heard a voice. And said, you know, was it Lauren? Who was it? She goes, no, no, it was nobody in the room, no one I've heard before. She goes, it was a deep voice. It was kind. And it was firm. And it was loving. And I said, what did the voice say? She said, the voice said my name. I said, now this part's really important. What did the voice want? She goes, he wants me to follow him. I said, yeah, he, he does. Let me explain this real quick, what's happening. We are experiencing the present ministry of the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And you have a Heavenly Father who very much loves you and wants to be with you. And he's calling you to follow him. He said, if you do this, it will be hard because the community that you have embedded yourself in has told you there's one way to do life. It's your identity. And it's related to your gender and your sexuality. And so when you choose to follow Jesus down this path, it's going to be challenged because what people need to define you is also what they need to define them. Do you understand what you're pushing against? And do you want to follow him? Because it's not just a short-term decision. It's for the rest of your life. She goes, no. She goes, this is effing weird. And, <laughs> and, she, and she, she goes. And that's okay. And I catch her at the door and I say, you know what? You don't ever have to come back. But if you don't, I want you to understand 
that now you know that God is real. And you need to wrestle with that in your head for the rest of your life. And if you come back, we can help you with that. She left. She's gone for eight weeks. I kept wanting to text her. I felt like the Lord said, no, don't. I was like, why not? He goes, don't. How about now? You know, and I just waited and waited, and finally the Lord said, no. She's under conviction. If you insert yourself into the middle of this, you're going to change the focus away from me and to you. So we finally hit this point about eight weeks in where I said, hey, we meet on Tuesday nights for a house church. So can we go out to brunch on Sunday morning? I've got to know how you're processing this. She goes, yeah, 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 let's do it. So we go out and we have brunch, right? And she sits there and the first thing she says is, I'm coming back. I said, why? And she goes, because it happened two more times. I said, well, it did? You know, like, I'm shocked. Like, this is not a normal, you know, weird. And so she's like, yeah, um, Jesus is relentless. It's like, yeah, he is. And she goes, I I need to figure out who he is. So she started coming back, and she has her struggles, and she has her wrestlings and her fightings. But about a year ago, she accepted Jesus, and she's a part of our family. And she is making changes slowly over time. And she has good days and bad days, like all of us. But she's moving towards the cross, towards Jesus, which is exciting. I don't even know where I am in my notes right now. So (laughs) Um, anyway, so let's continue on. In verse 10, so Peter, oh yeah, Peter is trying to tell the church, he's saying, look, what God has made clean, don't call it common. This is special, right? This is different. And so in verse 10, it says, This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, or sorry, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So, it goes on, and sorry, (laughs) I lost my spot here. So it says in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning, right? So Peter's recalling to them, remember, we didn't start here. They don't start... You may be in the best place. You didn't start in the best place either. So the Spirit falls on them, just like at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gives to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's way? If God's mission is to reach these people, what am I going to say? No. Like, <laughs> Yes, we have to come in line with that. Otherwise, we cease to be the church of Jesus Christ, right? We depart from what he's doing. We depart from the mission. We depart from the goal and what Jesus' heart is. So he says, who is I that I could just stand in God's way? But when they heard these things, they fell silent. What's going to happen? It's just quiet. Like, Jesus wants to reach these people. Guess what? The Holy Spirit fell on them also. What? 
These people are dirty. These people are outsiders. They are throwaways in our culture. But the Spirit of God would touch something like that to transform it. It's just silent. Because, first of all, they're incredulous. Second of all, why would he do that? And third, what does this mean for us? Where do we go from here? As a people, as a church. These people aren't Jewish. They don't know our background. They don't know our customs. They don't know how we like to do things, what we like to eat. They don't know how we dress. They don't, you know, they're outside of us. And Peter says, exactly. That's the point. As a church, we've been missing it. And God's going to open this up. The kingdom is bigger than we thought. So if you're taking notes, verse 3. I'm sorry, point three. (laughs) Sorry, Mike. All talking and no loving is relationally abusive. Jesus loves you. Show me that love. Mm, Love to, can't. Maybe somebody else will. Jesus, you're welcome in our church. We love you. We love your presence. We want to see you here. You are welcome to come as long as you don't change anything. You're welcome to come to our church and wait outside. Jesus says, "Mm, it's not really good for me. See, it's my church. If you want to be a part, you can come in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can come in line with my heart. Right? And so when we tell people things about the gospel and we don't show it to them, it's abusive. It's weird. It's like stringing them along, right? And when Jesus went to people and he spoke, that word attached and drove strings into people's hearts. The word of God will never return void. And for the rest of their life, (laughs) there's this piece that pulls at them, that tugs at them of who Jesus is and what Jesus could have for them if they're willing to walk with him and follow him, right? And that's what Jesus sets up for us. There's a quote here by a guy named John Wimber. And it says, when raising the bar becomes more important than helping others climb over it, we've missed the call of the kingdom. When we are more worried about who we are keeping out of the church and not saving than who we are going after with the blood of Jesus, that's wrong. It's indefensible. There's nothing you can put behind that to make that okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. And so our job as the church is to help people come to Jesus, transform, and make changes in their life, to see people refreshed and renewed. When we stand as gatekeeper to who can have freedom and hope, that's not okay. That is not the position of the church. God is the judge. Positions filled. He doesn't need help. He's pretty stinking good at what he does. What he needs us to do is show Jesus to people, to speak truth to them, to love on them. When we have the priority of putting the kingdom farther out of reach versus guiding people in, we have a big problem. I'm just going to go ahead and finish with this. We had a friend uh, join us on a retreat we did 
a year ago, a little over a year ago. She's not a believer. She wanted to come and be a part of what was going on. I was super curious about what was going on, and the focus of the retreat was on the Trinity and how we're made in the image of God. And the Trinity, each piece of the Trinity, has a specific character, a specific job that it does. And so we talked about what are those things, how does that play out in our life? We get through the second day, halfway through, and this girl just interrupts in the middle of the teaching and goes, Christians suck. Hmm. I said, well, I might not disagree, but I don't know your context, you know, because we, we certainly have our moments. And uh, she, she just starts crying. And she goes, you know, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story. I was like, great. So she goes, I grew up in a Christian home, went to college, started dating this guy, started doing drugs, got pregnant. Um, what ends up happening next is the guy finds out, says, you know what, if you get an abortion, I'll marry you. So, I did. We got married. I put on 100 pounds in one year from the grief that she was feeling. Beating herself up, the just absolutely knowing what she had done was horrible, but not finding anybody who would meet her in it and walk with her. So she shares this, this little bit of what's going on, and she goes, um, a little while ago, he uh, cheated on me and left. I'd put on a lot of weight. I was depressed. He's gone. I said, okay. Um, so, you know, we talked for like 45 more minutes, and she just kind of shared back and forth. And finally, Lauren goes, would you like... Jesus to help you with this. And it's not like the ridiculous, silly, goofy, clownish Christianity where it's like you're just going to laugh all the time and whatever. Like, life is hard sometimes. We're not immune from suffering. But the church has Jesus to walk with us in that. She didn't have that. So she goes, yeah, I, I would like to do that. Great. So we start praying for her, and she starts covering her ears and rocking and going, I, I'm hearing voices. Like, what? <laughs> you know, like, we didn't, I didn't expect this. Um, and uh, she goes, and I said, can you call out to Jesus? She goes, I can't. I just, I can't. I said, can I pray for you that Jesus, you know, will just kind of invade what's going on? And she goes, yeah. And so we prayed. And I said, can you pray now? And she goes, yeah. And when we were praying for her before she prayed to accept Jesus, the Lord showed me some distinctive things she was wrestling with. And one was suicide. So I just prayed against that in Jesus' name. So we get done. She accepts Jesus. And she comes over to me after and she goes, how did you know? I said, I don't, I don't really know anything about what happened. You know? And she goes, no. Two times this week, I had a dream where this dark figure approached me and told me to kill myself. She goes, I had every intention of doing that, but I figured I might as well come on the retreat before that happens. 
Jesus saved my life. Yeah, he did. The mission of Jesus is about saving people's lives. A lot of people judge what the gospel ought to be, but they don't stop to ever ask, what is it? We're so afraid of ministry being messy that we take ourselves out of the game and we stop doing it. Better ministry happening messy than not happening at all. Push the kingdom forward. Disciple. It's a call to discipleship for the church. We don't know what to do with this, then it's time for us to search the scriptures to rely on the Lord and grow up as a church. Jesus can't heal what he can't touch in the church, right? And so if we make excuses, what does Jesus do with that? He came to heal sin, not excuses. And so as a church, I want to encourage you guys. I'm not your pastor. You guys have a good pastor. But I've seen the beauty of the church give way to the mechanics of business and formalities of things that just really don't matter. Right before we moved, we heard a story about a church that was close to us that split because they couldn't agree if they should have round tables or rectangular tables at an elder meeting because they couldn't agree on who would get to sit at the head. Stupid. Like, really? That's just stupid. No one cares. There are people with real problems in the world. People we talk about, or Norm talks about, on the reservations. <laughs> Those people have real problems, real issues, right? Our neighbors, they have real problems. No one cares about where you sit at a table. It's stupid. It's petty. And the church has to grow up to meet what's happening in this hour. And guess what? We can't do it by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we check him at the door, then we're going to get whatever we can come up with, which isn't going to be much. We have to allow the Spirit of God to empower the church to move in ways that sometimes will make us uncomfortable. And here's the thing. It's not just Wild West Church, <laughs> right? It's not craziness, but it is saying if the Lord wants to use that gift and the Lord has a mission right now, if I were you, I wouldn't get in the middle of that. I'd let him do what he wants to do. It's his church. He gets to be in charge. He's the king. So I don't know, is the worship team in here? No? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> then what we'll do is I want to finish with this thought. Expectancy is key in partnering with God, right? Many opportunities have been lost by the church because it didn't come in the packaging that we preferred. And that's sad. But maybe some of you are here and you're at a place where you kind of just stopped partnering with the Lord some time ago. You kind of put your life on autopilot, going through the motions, you show up to church, everyone thinks it's good. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. It's not fine. I'm not good. I don't like going to church. I'm miserable inside. I feel spiritually dead, numb. It's not good. It's not fine. Guess what? We've all been there. Everyone's messy. Just some people say it. Right? Some people have the courage to say it. So if you're here this morning and that's you, I want to invite you guys to receive prayer. Is there anybody or maybe multiple people that are in this place? 
where things are just not fine. They're really not fine right now. Yeah. Christine. Yeah. Would you guys, do you mind standing? This is not to embarrass anyone at all. At all. Okay? We've all had, had these places in our life. Maybe currently we are. If you know Jesus, I want to have you guys find somebody around you and put your hand on them. Just stand up. We want to support them as a family, as a body. Jesus is about authenticity and sincerity, which is what people loved about Jesus. There's no need to pretend. There's no need to perform. We just need Jesus to move. So I want you to to take a minute, and I want you guys to pray over the person that's in front of you, okay? And then I'll come back, and I'll pray over all of us, and then you guys will be dismissed.